0: This episode of Earl Gray is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com/trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society, find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org.
1: Hi, this is Robert O'Reilly. My name is Gowron honor to you
0: and your house. You're listening to Trek FM. T.O. Gray Hustle.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Earl Grey, Trekker Fan's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Richard Marquez, and here, as always, is the dedicated Justin Dozer. How you doing, buddy?
2: I'm doing good. Ready to have another episode of Earl Grey and uh, just talking TNG again. I think we got a fun character to talk about
1: this week. Absolutely. Yeah, you go freshen up your cup of, uh, cup of Earl Grey. <laughs> and also here with me is the lovely Amy Nelson. How you doing, Amy?
0: I'm doing great. Very, very excited. Talking TNG, my favorite series. And yes, uh, a character that I don't normally think about. So I'm really looking forward to hear what you guys have to say and what the listeners have to say.
1: You don't normally think about, come on, this guy's great.
0: <laughs> he is. I re- oh, well, we'll talk about that later.
1: Well, before we go into there, we don't want to jump into this really too quickly. But before we do, we got we to gotta first discuss about our uh, feedback that we got from the Babel Conference for Earl Grey 211, Loud as a whisper, Which is, funny enough, Amy's favorite episode or one of Amy's favorite. It's one of favorite, right?
0: Yes, it is. Right. There we go. Yeah, uh, yeah. I we had a really good discussion on it, and uh, Greg Malumbi posted nice discussion. I was listening to when you were talking about how Star Trek prides itself on diversity, and one of the things Star Trek TNG did better than any other Star Trek was showing the handicap and giving them representation. You had this episode, which was all about communication and being deaf, but you also had episodes with Barkley going through being socially awkward or Jordy being blind. It's important to know that talking about diversity doesn't always mean race or ethnicity. Sometimes it can also be something as simple as turning a disadvantage into advantage, and TNG excelled at showing that. Well, thank you so much for your comment, Greg. And I really just couldn't agree with you more.
2: Yeah, thank you, Greg. I mean, we very much appreciate what you had to say and inserting Amy's favorite phrase turning disadvantage into advantage.
0: (laughs) Yes, always a plus.
2: And we also had a comment from listener Corey Elrod, who said, this is not an episode I revisit often. The death of the chorus caught me off guard my first viewing. It was very unexpected. This episode is a great example of all the life lessons we can learn from Star Trek. I enjoyed you guys pinpointing certain lessons and personally reflecting on them. It added a unique angle to the discussion." Well, thank you, Corey, for those comments. Certainly, the death of the chorus caught me way off guard the first time that, that I saw it. It was shocking and it was kind of graphic as as well. Um, and as we discussed, we think it's it's a really great episode. and. You know the, the lessons and personally reflecting on that I just want to give all credit to Amy Nelson who put together the structure of the the discussion for that and led to the personal reflection so thanks for that Amy
0: well and I really enjoy comments of people saying gosh I didn't really like it but I went and revisited or did a rewatch," and you know and that's what I love about Star Trek I mean the show is 30 plus years old and and so, for people to go back and, and to find those lessons just really makes my heart happy. So, thank you.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you guys for uh, commenting. <laughs> well, as we told you guys in the last episode, uh, we actually told you guys we were going to reflect on a character, and it happens to be Gowron. Uh, I, I, my, my, uh, so, let's, let's talk first, uh, initial impressions. So, um, you know what? I'll go last. So, uh, how about we go with Amy first?
0: Okay. So yeah, as I was going to say, like talking about Gowron, this is not a character uh, that I generally think of when I think of next generation, it's just really low on the list. And the only time I think of it, well, cause when I first started listening, it was obviously the original Earl Grey crew with, uh, Darren. Oh, help me out guys. Darren, Daniel <laughs> and Philip. Ah. Yes, Darren, Daniel, and Philip. thank I was you. I struggle. And, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and so they had this little joke that it's because um, the VCR interactive oh, game is not yeah. Gowron. Which
2: is <laughs> <So, laughs> one of the funniest things And ever.
0: I own that game. I know. And I own that game. And so that's always I think of not Gowron. So that's what I think of when I think of Gowron. Interesting.
1: Interesting. <laughs> Experience the beach. Experience <laughs> beach. <beige. laughs> <laughs> <sighs> awesome. Uh Justin, what were your infre- first initial impressions of the of Run? Well, I mean, it's kind of funny to realize he's only in four
2: episodes of the Next Generation because I guess I feel differently, Amy. I feel like he does have like this big impact and is kind of a larger than life and very memorable kind of character. I think when Star Trek fans think about Gowron, they think about like this bug eyed kind of aggressive Klingon who becomes chan- who becomes For Chancellor sure. of uh, of the Klingon Empire. Um, but you know, it. I mean, also. Like, my impression of him is colored a little bit by what happens in Deep Space Nine, which most of which you haven't, I know you haven't seen Amy, but he actually appears in more Deep Space Nine episodes than TNG. But if I'm to think about, like, when I first saw Gowron, what I was thinking, like, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the first episode where he's there with Doras and, you know, for a competition to, to become the, the, the chancellor. And it was like, Oh, who's this guy? He seems a little bit different than some other Klingons that, that we've seen before. And I mean, first of all, I think in that first episode, it seems like he's, um, a little maybe more lightly built than other Klingons. He seems like this, not as like stocky and big as you might see for like Worf and some of the other Klingons. So at first I was like, Oh, what, what's with him? How's he different? So it, my first impression was he's different and i don't know where that's going to go so
1: yeah so when i when i initially uh when I, when i went through all these episodes again uh like thinking of galron like for the very first time it's like who is this nobody i mean we uh it's like i mean i mean obviously thinking through the episode like uh, we see Duros and then we know the history of Doros and I and just like oh my gosh I hope he doesn't become the <laughs> Chancellor of of the Klingon Empire and it's like and you know yeah like like I said he's this scrying little dude um that probably didn't have enough sh- you know padding in his shoulder pads or something <laughs> like that I don't know or maybe he just needs to hit the gym more often but uh um yeah uh, my first impression was like he's a nobody uh from the from the get-go um and, and Uh, that he just happens to be like a secondary character. Obviously, um, you know, he's a very important uh, figure in DS9 and I guess someone in TNG as well. And um, I mean, when I think of Galrod, I think of him in DS9. (laughs) Yeah, and,
2: and, and, you know, I didn't realize it until I was doing this rewatch, but, you know, a lot of Star Trek fans might know Galron from his line, glory to you and your house, which happens in Deep Space Nine. It doesn't happen here. And his eyes get really big. I love how his eyes get big and he smiles. He's like, oh. But but yeah, I'd like some of the, the things that he says and what I might know him most from happen on Deep Space Nine. But I think that there is some really interesting stuff that's establishing his character and how his importance grows. And I mean, his importance in a lot of ways is more to the history of the Klingon empire than TNG specifically, because there's all of these important events that he's a part of and important history making things that he's a part of.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it definitely built this, this initial part of, uh, of him here in TNG definitely builds a really good character. Um, and then, you know, like I said, you know, it, it, he, does a very, he's a very prominent figure in DS nine and, um, yeah, it's, it's great. But, Let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's just step into the to the first episode. So the first episode that Gowron shows up uh, shows up in is um, in Reunion, and this would be season four, uh, episode seven, and uh, it aired uh, December fifth of nineteen ninety. So just to give a synopsis of this, um, according to Memory Alpha, because we don't want to be uh, <laughs> we we don't want to be incorrect here. Um, <laughs> Captain Picard is selected to ar- uh, arbitrate the selection of a new chancellor for the Klingon Empire, and in doing so, find out who uh, find out who dishonorably murdered the old chancellor. Also involved is uh, Ambassador Kalar, uh, yeah Kalar, who was a surprise for Worf, their son, Alexander, who yeah. unfortunately actually just passed away.
2: Yeah, I was gonna yeah. as I was watching this, I I got sad because. Yeah, the guy who played, I think it was John stower is the, the name, who played Alexander in this episode, just recently passed away at the age of 33, which is sad. And he originated the mm-hmm. cal- character of Alexander. But Yeah,
1: yeah, very sad. So anyway. Um, yeah, so but yeah, uh, we'll, we'll uh, focus on Gowron <laughs> in the episode. Right, right. <laughs> so happier thoughts. <laughs> so um, Amy, what did you think of uh, Reunion uh, with Gowron?
0: Well, I really enjoy this episode and I do all of the episodes. Uh, each one tell the great Klingon story and really highlights I think Worf's position in TNG and his character development. But with Gowron, yeah, we're meeting him and here he is making claim to you know, to lead the Klingon Empire. And I, he definitely is plays well and plays off of Doros well, because he seems to be a little fidgety, like when Picard says, well, we're going to do the ancient tradition, the Jadich, and you know Doros is all up in arms, and Gowron's like, oh, I'm not happy about it, but I'll go through with it. So I sort of feel like his heart is more pure, because he's willing to do whatever it takes to... Uh, rightfully claim uh, the chancellorship,
1: or at least that's what it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah,
2: Well, I, I, you know, I made note of, of something this time around that I think is interesting because before you actually see Galron on screen, Worf is talking about Gowron as an outsider who has often challenged the council, which is really interesting because you know there on one side there's Doras who we know is a very important family, important enough that Worf had to take this discommendation to cover, you know, what Duressa's father did. And on the other side, you have somebody who's considered a complete outsider who's challenged the council. How did he get to this position that he's one of the two, I guess, finalists for this? I mean, there there must be something that told me there must be something that's very like strong willed and determined about him as an outsider to challenge, basically, you know, one of the most famous names in the Klingon empire. So we're told. So I found that part, um, you know, quite interesting before you even, even see Galron. And what you also see, you know, pretty quickly is that he's somebody that's going to throw out threats very readily. I mean, there, there's one part, um, you know, it, a little bit later in, in the episode where, where Duras and Galron are kind of, you know, having this this exchange and Duras is looking for, he says he's looking forward to killing Galron after he becomes chancellor. <laughs> and then Galron just, you know, smiles and his eyes get big and he says, you will die slowly, Duras. I mean, just like the attitude is incredible, just like even in the, that last word. So... That's one of the things that makes an impression impression right out of the gate that you see from Gowron, that he has this attitude. He will threaten people. He will kill people as needed. He's as much Klingon as anybody else, even if, as you said, Richard, he might be a bit scrawny in the first episode.
1: Well, and it's – I mean, it's true, you know – Smaller people have a big, have a really big bite, and sometimes they're scary. <laughs> they really do. I mean, maybe that's the reason why they, they need those platforms on their shoes or something like that. I don't know. To so they can all be in the same height. But yeah, like I mean, see, uh, I mean, just to, uh, you bring up a great point about uh, about being an outsider and being able to uh, be a part of this. Uh, right of succession. Is that what is that what it was?
2: Yeah, the Picard's the arbiter of succession. So there's all of these. Parts to the right of succession. I guess it is. Right.
1: Yeah. So like, I mean, being an outsider, you have to be one heck of a warrior or someone that's extremely intimidating to, uh, to even be in that kind of position, especially being the top two, maybe he killed everyone. I don't know. (laughs) He seems to have a lot of
2: confidence because oftentimes he gets this smile on his face. Like I'm going to get the better of you. You know, I have confidence in, in this is, is how he's feeling. Um, you know, and and in seeing that, I think the first time around that I watched this this episode some some years ago, you know, I had this impression like, oh, he's he's going to come out on top. He's somebody that's determined, and he's going to come out on top. I mean, also if they had Doras come out on top, that would just kind of blow up a lot of what's going on in the show, because there would have been this alliance with the Romulans, probably, and all all this stuff. So in a way, Gowron had to to win out, but he makes such a memorable impression and it could have been possible that they wouldn't have brought him back later, but I think he did make a certain impression and they wanted to, to bring him back later to kind of see where, where it goes. And, you know, he's also brought in, I mean, th- this is a really important episode, not only because th- I think this is the first time if you're looking at how things air that we actually see a Klingon chancellor. Um, it's also the first time we see the Batleth, which is extremely important. It's the first time we see Alexander. It's the first time we see the Vorcha class battle cruiser, which is what uh, Kempak has, and then Gowron has. So there's like all of these world building Klingon things that are happening, and you're bringing in Gowron, so it's almost natural that he becomes an important part of of, of that world. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing going back to what you were saying, like how. Uh, Gowron really is an outsider. Like when he is talking with Worf and, and questioning, like, why did you take disaccommodation? Like this truly, he is an outsider. He doesn't know yeah. the politics behind all of that. He doesn't really know the high council and the decisions that they've made, you know, basically behind closed doors. And and so I just, I think it really shows his courage to go in blindly, mm-hmm. you know, and not really understanding I mean, you definitely, you know, the Doros and how conniving they are, but not truly mm-hmm. as much that led to that discommodation so I think it's definitely you can see that sometimes in our political world where it's like here you've got someone it's like well who are you 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 haven't been in politics very long and they want to change and stuff like that so it, it's pretty cool to see him step in like that being an and outsider. And in a
2: way Galron had to be an outsider because if the choice had been between Duras and someone else who was on the council at the time of Worf's discommodation then it's just between right. two corrupt choices, and how could Worf be on the side of either of them? He'd want to fight against both yeah. of them, and I don't know where that would have, have gone, but in a way, he had to be separate from that so that it could be something that that Worf could accept, you know? This right of succession that's that's going on, and definitely the first time I saw it, I was totally surprised that, you know, basically, Worf kills, spoilers, Worf kills Doros. <laughs> Worf kills Doros, and then you don't see um, Gowron being, like, installed as a chancellor. That happens in the next episode, which is months later in, in Redemption. So I, I think I was I was very surprised the first time that I saw this that you didn't see some kind of acknowledgement that he'd be chancellor. It was like, oh, he died, and there the ships go. So I don't know if you guys were surprised by that, but the first time I saw it, I was like, but but wait, <laughs> we didn't see Gowron become the chancellor, really.
1: You know, I... When I first saw this, I, I don't think I quite understood it because, like I said, I was a I was a kid <laughs> on what exactly. I think I was more amazed uh, with the whole, um, Wharf's son and um, basically the combat that then ensued and whatnot. I I mean, I mean, obviously later on down the road, uh, yeah, he definitely. Um, it would have been it it would have been awesome to see at least a, a ceremony of some sort, or maybe even um, a, a cutscene of the Enterprise going to I don't know the the ceremony to uh, make him an emperor. But I mean, I guess yeah, we really didn't see that, so I don't know. You yeah. mean yeah. Chancellor, not Emperor, right? Oh, ch- that's <laughs> <my name>. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and I don't think that that would be the right place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it would be more for an ambassador to go to that ceremony and not the captain of a starship. Well, you is, know, like that, but that he, seems more He is the arbiter of succession, he had, he
1: is choosing. He had, yeah, that's what I was going to say.
0: Yeah, yeah, so he did his job. He chose.
2: Well, by default, like, I mean, it's he like, did like that. there's, 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 yeah, there's, there's two people <laughs> and one's died, so, I mean, it's not really like he's making a choice. <laughs> it's just by default.
0: Well, but, you know, I mean, that's he's definitely wanted to stay mm-hmm. out of Klingon. That's true.
2: I mean, and you know? and, yeah. and also, of course, yeah. a lot of times when you think about this episode, you think of this is the death of Kalar, you know, which kills me every time I see it. Yes. So that, I know. The, there's more of the focus on that. Like the arbitration is kind of almost like a B plot, the the arbiter of succession stuff. And the A plot is really Worf's relationship with Kalar and her dying and, and all of that is think more more of the focus and that's kind of where they leave it with who's going to take care of Alexander so I mean they think that's why they they yeah. did it but I don't know it was just one of those things like oh so he gets it by default and we're not going to see him installed okay
1: okay so um let's move along then um we can we could talk and uh, we can talk in uh together or or one at a time but um the next episode um is redemption uh so we're still in season four and it's episode 26 Both episodes, well, not both, the first episode aired uh, uh, June 17th of 91, and then the second episode, which obviously that was the season finale, um, Redemption Part 2 is uh, the beginning of the fifth season. Okay, so Redemption Part 1, we'll discuss that one first. Uh, So in this one, Picard uh, balances his Federation and Klingon duties as new Klingon uh, Chancellor Gowron faces a civil war. Worf and his brother Kern turn uh, or fight to uh, regain his uh, their father's honor. This is one of my favorite two parters. I absolutely love this uh, this two parter. It's just it's so it, it's just it's uh, it's just awesome when it comes to action and everything. And I love Starship Combat, but I mean I know that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> but this is awesome. <laughs>
0: It is like those scenes of the Enterprise and the uh, Warbirds. I mean, it is a great space battle. I just
1: wish the technology like was better at this time, so they can, you know, they could do these like instead, like because obviously it took what several hours to do some of these scenes, and they yeah, they were they still doing like
2: them with physical models. So
1: right, exactly. <laughs> yes, and, you know, it takes days or weeks or however long it took. And they look; it looks great. But could you imagine if CGI uh, today would have replaced all that?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, then awesome. then then you would have gotten what you saw in Deep Space Nine, where they did use CGI for the big battles. But yeah, mm. for these, they could only because they had to have physical models. There could only be a certain number of ships. Yeah, and and in the second Redemption part, where they have like this fleet of twenty ships, I noticed they only ever show like yes. four of them <laughs> at the time.
0: <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <yeah>, so. yeah. <laughs>
2: But yeah, I mean but still they're implying that there's this big, you know, thing that's going on. What mm-hmm. you know, one of the things that surprises me when I take a look at it this way is that this airs about 6 months after reunion. And so it opens with, you know, Galron's on his way to his installation ceremony 6 months later. Like what's happened in the last 6 months? Surely there's been some kind of power struggle or maneuvering, who's really in power? I don't know. But I keep putting that to the, to the side. I mean, Gowron is such a very important part. I think, especially of of the first part where he's saying we have to prevent a Klingon civil war, and you're introduced in this episode, I think, for the first time to Lursa and Betor, which are um, Duras's sisters that are have all this scheming against Gowron. So it's it's really kind of a continuation of, of the last one where Duras was on one side and Galron's on the other. Now it's Duras' sisters on one side with the Romulans and, and Galran on the other. So it's just kind of bringing that more to, to like this climactic, you know, battle that happens in the two-parter. So, I mean, I think it's really, it's really excellent. And Galron's a really important part here. Um, I, I made note of, of, of one thing that that Galran, um says, because I think he's talking with card about Lursa and Beitor, and he says, you know, that women can't serve on, on the council, so they have to do all of this plotting. And I think this may be the first time that they've said something like that. Um, so mm. I think it's interesting. They draw that, that kind of, um, delineation here, um, which I don't know, in some ways maybe gets contradicted a bit later when you have Azeper who becomes chancellor in Star Trek Six. But anyway, there's that delineation that's, that's drawn. But on the other side, when we see the the Romulans, um, it doesn't seem like there's that same kind of you know women can't serve in these kinds of positions of of power. So I don't know. There's just an interesting contrast that's that's there. And Lursa and Betor are kind of scheming the way that they they can because they can't be part of 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 the council. And then they bring up Duras' son, who if you think Gowron's scrawny, <laughs> this kid is like
0: oh yeah, it, it looks
2: like he's about fifteen maybe. <laughs>
0: and he's so short. Yeah,
2: well I mean he he's not like it is very clean, not at his full height. I don't think he's like fully grown, you know. <laughs> so so it's interesting that you've gone from Duras, who's like this really formidable warrior against Galron to like his son who's probably like a teenager against against Galron, but because they have the support of of the Romulans, they do end up becoming formidable. So he has to kind of adjust here to to what's going on because like in Reunion, it's like he just had to kind of go through the process and do what was necessary, maybe kill Duras if he has to, to get power. But in this, he's fighting against forces that he can't even see, which is which is the Romulan. So it's interesting to see how he adjusts to that. And he also tries to bring in Picard and the Federation, and he keeps getting rebuffed in, in doing that. But eventually, he finds a way to do it with this, this blockade for, for the supplies. So... He's showing himself to be really um, a good uh, strategist and, and politician in trying to make Forge alliances and go through all of his options and you know, be creative about it. So I, I like what you're seeing here, and it makes sense that he solidifies the power at the end because of you know trying to go through all those options and, and, uh, and do what he has to do. He's not just someone who has attitude and might you know, kill you with the Batleth. He has what it takes to really solidify his power, I think he shows here.
0: Yeah, I think you're right when you say, like, he, he definitely, what I've come across, especially with reunion and redemption, like, he is a strategist and he is trying to, you know, I don't think in his heart he's trying to unite Kingdom, he's just trying to stay in power or to get power and then stay in power and to fight the Doros family and knows what it takes because the Doros has so many allies, especially on the High Council and you know, through spread throughout the the kingdom. And I like how, you know, Worf and and his brother Kern, you know, sort of wait at the right time to throw their support, you know, and it's like Gowern's fighting, fighting, fighting. And then, okay, now we have the support of Worf and Kern. And so he feels, you know, more victorious and, you know, more confident that it's going to, you know, go in his favor. So I I see that conniving. And, yeah, he's always going to Picard. Well, you've got to do this because you're the arbitrator and you have to see this through. And, you know, yeah, like you're saying, he's always getting rebuffed. But he continually, you know, goes to Picard for that.
2: Yeah, I have to so. disagree a little bit with something that you said, Amy, because I think he does want to to unite the Klingon Empire because if it isn't united, then it's fractured and it's civil war, a part of a civil war and he has to work to shore up the support or someone else might attack him. So I think, you know, it initially he's just trying to cobble together the support he can and eventually gets, you know, Worf support and Kern support with these different squadrons. But um, he really does need to unite it, which I guess it's implied kind of happens at 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 the end that now he isn't going to have any kind of uh, challenge to to his power. So he has, I think he is working to unite them because if he doesn't, then there's always a threat to his power.
0: Well, I guess my point, and you're right, he does, he wants everyone united for him him, instead of uniting for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the delineation that I don't see him, you know, as... A pure heart wanting to save her and, you know, save this kingdom, this Klingon empire. Mm-hmm. He just wants the power for himself. No, you're. That's sort of how yeah, see I. Yeah,
2: I think you're you're right about that. He is in it for himself. And he does demonstrate yeah. that at different points, especially when we look at the next episode. But he really is in it mm-hmm. for him himself and the power and the glory. I mean, it seems like in order to get to the position of being chancellor, he's had to be very ambitious. And it would have been really interesting to have some backstory or to know how he even got to be a contender to be chancellor, because I figured that he was somebody that didn't have an important family, was kind of a bit of a nobody and had to kind of threaten and fight his way toward the top, right? So he's had to be in it for himself, because if he isn't, somebody would have killed him
1: long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Well, he must be someone very important, anyway. I mean, he—I mean—to—to to have a civil war, I'm sure it's—I—I I would hope it's split down the middle, um, but he there's—he must have impressed quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of the family houses uh, to actually have or wage this civil war and actually. I—I I, I, you know.
2: don't know about that though, because I think at a certain point when he is installed as as champ, chancellor. Teral says, who's Duras' son, says, you know, come with us and join us. And it seems like most of the people in the room leave. (laughs) Like at that point, he's very isolated and has. And it's only because he has the support of, you know, Kern and the squadrons that he has that he has any chance at all. It seems like at first most of them are against him.
0: Yeah, and because at the beginning of the episode, like you have those who are allied with Doras family, and then you have—I can't quite remember how many squadron leaders was, Kern has. Was it was it four.
2: But then, four. but then one of them decides not to to go along with and It becomes three. But presumably, a squadron is—I yes. don't know—a lot, a good number of ships. So he has some dozens of ships or something. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: there's some squadron that are, you know, following Kern and then there's squadrons who are following uh, uh, Gowron, you know, mm-hmm. so there's definitely, and I'm sure there might be others because Kern isn't even a contender for well, being chancellor, and- you know, but people follow him mm-hmm. and then it's when they decide to follow Gowron that those squadron leaders go with Gowron. Right. Because of what I, Kern I think and Worf initially, do. Kern
2: is saying to Worf that he's going to throw his support behind the Duros sisters, or not the Duros sisters, Ex- but behind Toral, who's who's the contender. That's what yeah. he's initially going to do because they're the most powerful, right? So
0: there's yeah, there's squadrons who are out there that don't have an allegiance to either Probably, one that yeah. they're sort of banding together. Yeah. So yeah, I wouldn't say that Gowron has the majority, and it doesn't look like that it's a 50-50, you know, Civil War, two sides, many sides, I think.
2: Yeah, yeah. In a certain way, it's kind of a shame that there's only two episodes for this, because there could have been an interesting extended arc that followed the the Civil War and the implications and all of that, but it's still really interesting the way that, that, it, that it happens. Um, so I guess another thing in this two-parter is that, Like, I I think of it as, you know, a lot of involvement for the Romulans, but it's kind of on the away from view. (laughs) So it's almost like Mm -hmm. Gowron knows that there's Romulan support, but you never see him interacting with, you know, Sela or any Romulans or anything like that. Right. So he's fighting against kind of this faceless enemy and he has to rely on, I guess, you know, Worf and the Federation to help him out with that. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he completely relies on the intel from the Federation. Yeah. What- and just sort of what he sees, you know, he suspects, like, well, the Doros keep getting supplies, so they have to be getting them from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and it has right. to be the Romulans, because we know that Doras's father betrayed them to the Romulans, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have at least- Go ahead.
0: So, oh, so just real quick, Toros... Again, how did? I, I'm sorry, listeners. I know I just watched it. How did he come to be?
2: He's Duras' son. He's not, we don't know by whom. Illegitimate, but son. they said. Uh, the, like I, I think the implication is oh. illegitimate, like because I think yeah. Gowron says, okay. like you know, in, that's in which Harlot's bed did you find him, or something like that. I don't know, <laughs> something like that.
0: <laughs> oh, see, I just thought that was an insult and not they, really yeah, that that was. They the don't say for
1: sure, so. but. So, somehow, I, th- I think they they just said they couldn't on uh, basically confirm that he was a son because I I do believe that they said that he never had any children.
0: Yeah, exactly. In, well, that's th- what I remember hearing. Then, and
1: then when, he, yeah. when obviously he's presented, then that's when it's like, <laughs> that <sort of> thing. <laughs> I guess they but d- like they do a genetic yeah. test or something, right? You would think that be. they would do that. They can re- exhume his body.
2: Wait, they don't cremate, do they? Oh, yeah. They're us. <laughs> Maybe he has some medical records on file. I, we don't know much yeah. about Klingon medical records. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I
1: can only imagine if they had medical records. That would be very interesting to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't really get an opportunity to see like, a Klingon doctor in TNG. But... Well, with as much blood that gets spilled there, I mean, you would think that at least right? something in their house or something Oh, like that. yeah,
2: they've got to have all that kind of... They've got to have all of the kinds of professions that you don't usually see in TNG for Klingons. <laughs> yeah,
0: and the, some DNA because all that big long hair—some <laughs> hair's got to come out somewhere. Oh,
2: here's Doris's <laughs> hairbrush. Mm.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: that's another thing. You know, he
2: was a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, oh my gosh, it's 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 quite interesting. I, I had one other thing to say. I mean, I think we've talked about yep. both parts really. I had one other thing to say about the two-parter. Unless you have other things. No, go ahead. Go, go ahead. So I think what happens toward the end is, is interesting because the Duras family is defeated and then they bring uh, Tural into the, I guess, the council hall. And, uh, you know, Galron is basically uh, giving Worf the ability to to kill uh, Tural because he's kind of the representative of the Duras family and, you know, the dishonor that, that, that came to Worf. And Worf refuses to do that. And then Gowron says, okay, now it goes to your brother, Kern. And Kern looks like he's totally ready to do it. And Worf's like, nope, don't do this. It may be the Klingon way, but it's not my way. And, you know, it's my life to deal with and you're not going to do this. And then, you know, him and Picard, you know, kind of walk out of the hall, but do you think after that they're like, okay, Worf's gone. Let's just kill him. <laughs> like what happens, right? <laughs> I always wonder. If...
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I never even thought that, but that totally makes Because it would totally sense.
2: be for, for Gowron to be like, Worf may have spared your life, but not me. But- <laughs> and they just kill him, you know? Because I don't think you ever see this character again. There's no other reference to Tural. To, to you don't know what happened. Or like what life there could be for someone in the Klingon Empire, who's basically been shown that his family is dishonorable, has lost this war, has no claim to power. I, I just wonder about that. Like, you know, and and Gowron seems like at the end, he's like, hmm, I don't know. But I did notice one thing, like there's a final shot in the second part of Redemption where Kern comes up to Gowron and Gowron puts like a hand on his shoulder while he's talking to him. And it always makes me wonder, like, is he talking to Kern and just saying like, Hey, Worf's gone. Just go ahead and do it, you know? I don't know if you've noticed that, but I noticed it in the last shot. He like they, They're they kind of crowding around Gowron, and he puts his hand on Kern's shoulder and is saying something to him.
0: Hmm. Like, he's yours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It
2: would totally be Gowron's thing to, to do that. But, of course, we never find out, at least on screen, what happens,
1: you know? Um, yeah, but do you give him an honorable death, or do you, like poison him or something like that see, the, or, uh, since he's i don't know i mean he's, um,
0: the no way he is not getting an honorable i don't death. think well, yeah, so
1: that's what i mean like but, like you don't chop his head off or something see, like that the, or whatever
2: the, the other thing that i was thinking like another interpretation is he puts this hand on on uh kern's shoulder and i was thinking maybe it could be consoling him that he doesn't get to have his revenge on taral and maybe they just exile him or you know whatever i don't i don't know what it, it would be interesting i'm not sure if it's covered in any of the novels but i just so wondered that because they leave it as like this open question that whether his life's going to be spared or he just gets killed right after that
0: well and it's interesting like because i understand not killing the child or you know the children of the original romulan trader which was you know doris's mm-hmm. father but here they are proven again that they are working with the Romulans, not just Terrell, but the Dora sisters. Yeah. And yet they still remain in power. And we see uh Lursa and Baetor show up again, again with yeah. power, but you they know, generation. They and escape stuff.
2: actually. I mean Lursa and Baetor hit the transporter. Yeah, and they they
0: escape. Yeah, they go away, but they still you know, show up again, and they're still well, living the life. And I think that they do have some supporters yeah, because they, you know, as we see in generations, by, by the time but. of
2: generations. But I think they they're yeah. kind of um, outsiders at a certain point because Lursa and Betor actually show up in a Deep Space Nine episode. So they're somewhere mm-hmm. that's outside the Klingon Empire and outside the Federation, and um, mm. which which is interesting. That's the only thing I think you see of after TNG of what they're doing in in the meantime, but.
0: So, but my point being is, like, Gowron has, I think, full, I don't know, permission or whatever. I think the he Chancellor has fairly
2: but, absolute power. But,
0: well, yeah, yeah, but he's fully within his yeah. right to, you know, yeah, fine, here you go, here, Worf, do with this life. But that is probably for being disincommodated because of what happened previously previously. Yeah. But now with this new evidence, Lursa Be'tart. Well, yeah, they escape, but
2: it's treason. I mean, you know, they should be executed for treason, right?
0: Absolutely <laughs> executed for treason. They should they should not be there anymore. And it's not up to Worf. That's yeah. definitely a chancellor, a Gowron Yeah, that's
2: thing. that that that's what I'm gonna think in my head. Can actually happen. Like afterwards, they have like a very short treason trial, and then they just execute T'ara. <laughs> yeah, <'Kay>, done.
0: <laughs> I that makes me feel yeah, better because
2: it is a. They leave it
1: open a bit, yep.
0: Yeah, because it's the new evidence <laughs> and definitely found yeah. guilty.
1: Richard? Well, I, I I was just reading about uh, Terrell on uh, Memory Alpha, and he's actually in Deep Space Nine. Well, I don't know if he's actually shown in Deep Space Nine, but apparently... He's referenced? Um, he's referenced in the Sword of Kaelos. Is he really? The episode oh, okay. where they find the the sword with the blood of Kaelos yeah. on it. Yeah. Anyway...
0: They find another sword with blood stop. that happened well, in th- right. Don't Air. don't
1: spoil things that happened in DS9. Yeah, space yeah, yeah. I was just want to stop right there. <laughs> yeah, I, was like,
0: I think on our outline it says no spoilers. I, yeah, it says I wasn't no. trying for be, DS9
1: just for saying, Amy. It just says here that when they exit the chamber, they were confronted by several Klingons led by Torreal Sanaduras. <laughs> oh, like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Right okay. Yep, yep, yep. You're right. Uh, dang! So,
2: there goes my okay. theory. So he's, reference, so, he's reference.
0: He's
1: referenced. He's,
2: reference. That's he's all still I'm alive later. Okay.
0: Oh darn it. Okay, so listeners, Richard, Justin, I am going on air. I will do a Deep Space, Deep Space Nine rewatch watch. before <laughs> T N or before Star Trek. Las Vegas. right. or a watch. watch yeah. yeah, since yep, I haven't seen, some seen of all of them, but you've I've seen I've some. Seen so I will. It won't happen till the summer, listeners. So don't ask me too much. But I will Excellent. watch Deep yeah. Space Nine.
2: And, I think you'll get a lot out of it because there is a lot that's built on from TNG, and where you get to mm-hmm. see, especially with Worf, you get to see, you know, what he's doing other than the movies after TNG. But mm-hmm. yeah, oh right, excellent. I we'll hold you say, to that. You heard we it will here hold first.
0: You to
2: that. Yes. <laughs> a summer watch. All right. Summer watch. Yes. There we go. So I guess that was redemption part two. (laughs) Yeah, I think we talked about, they're they're just so intertwined.
0: So one thing, just real quick, and it has nothing to do with Gowron, but I was watching and you can't talk about redemption without talking about Sila. And of course, we have Discovery on our mind and and Captain Killie with her haircut and that diagonal slant. <laughs> uh, you saw it here first with Sela. Man, her haircut is exactly like hmm. Tilly's, but just shorter. And I totally saw a That's connection there. So I'm just throwing that well, out. You, Little side you tangent. You know,
2: I, I think it's, it's, it's clearer on, are you talking about at the front where it's got like this thing?
0: Well, yeah, so right over her ears and it just comes straight, oh, down. straight down, I down. I mean, there. sort of girl sideburns, yeah. but they're not. It's the cut of her yeah. hair. It's pretty cool. It, that slash cutting is like how Tilly's right hair about is. That. Hmm. I am. No, right. no,
2: I, 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 I could see that. I didn't <laughs> think about that. And also like on, um, Sila, what you see like t- toward the front is it has this little like triangular thing mm-hmm. at the front, which I think is more pronounced on Scylla, but you actually see like a subtle variation of that on other Romulans to accentuate the brow ridges. But very yeah. interesting. As
0: you know, yeah. you you got Discovery we, on the mind. We didn't spoil mind, something so, yeah, for yeah, Richard in Discovery.
2: Things. Have you seen far enough to know what we're no. talking
1: about? I have. Of of
2: okay. I'm good. Updated. Good. All okay. Right. Excellent. So, yeah. But yeah, how could you not talk about uh, about Cela and her foiled plans? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I I always think it's it's interesting that it's like, oh, our ships have been discovered. We need to turn around. <laughs>
1: So I know. you can't go around them, like up or down or something? Well, like
2: that. That, yeah, that's that's the other thing. It, they're, they're not really thinking about three-dimensional space. It's like, there's this grid, so well, why don't you yeah. just they, go?
1: They kind of were. They kind of were because if you look at the map, that they were showing where every starship's gonna be, it is in but a sense 3D, but you can't. It
2: probably has a limited range, right? Well, you you yeah, could be like, oh, let yeah. me go up this axis a couple light years and then curve around, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, they they have it like that, but it's like, Okay, really. I mean, you could unless you in, in, like encapsulate the whole entire uh um, Unless you're doing empire. like a, like yeah, you know a dozens a of layers like, yeah. all the way around, right? Yeah, you can't. <laughs> it's absolutely no way you could do that.
0: <laughs> yeah, the mathematician in me was sort of cringing like, at that point. I'm like, yeah, just go right. around, and you, it, a blockade doesn't work. It, you know just one dimension. It's tough. It, it, yeah, I, I think it'd be I tough was to see. Annoyed.
1: Yeah. I, I, Sorry, it's like it's like I, I would love to see what it would look like on the frontier, like on the border between I don't know the Federation and Romulans, and mm-hmm. you know what 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 do they use for these nets? Because we always hear about these, like oh we gotta disable this uh, this um, beacon or you know detection beacon or something like that. Yeah. It's like there can't be like, I mean, how far does it go? <laughs> oh
2: yeah, I mean, in order to adequately patrol those borders, they'd have to have probably a lot more ships than we've ever heard about, right? In, in, in order to get in like in a good sphere, whatever is yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. You need to, yeah, you need to be spherical around the whole planet, or like or around
2: the, the whatever it like they were trying to get the, the whole border, to. going like a few dozen light years in like
1: every possible axis and direction, you know. And you know yeah. that they would be trying to find a weakness spot or something like that, or like a gap in this in the coverage or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that takes more resources to find that, but still, I mean, like. Yeah. Yeah, this, anyway. has been,
2: this has been your start, your, your podcast yes. on Star Trek spatial geometry, <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, but it is interesting because you
2: think about it more in this episode. Cause they have this graphic with this grid that's like going all over the place. But mm-hmm. I mean, like, you, like,
1: is it yeah. like water? You get swept away if you go too far outside the galaxy or something like that. Or you, you know what I mean?
0: <laughs> you might hit the galactic center.
2: Or edge, (laughs) yeah, or just be outside of the galactic plane. I don't know,
0: but anyway, on the edge of Federation. Thankfully,
2: for for Gowron, the uh, the geometric knowledge of the Romulans is limited.
1: (laughs) Yes,
0: and obviously the yeah Romulans and Klingons.
1: (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) All right. So moving along, uh, we're gonna go move on to uh, the next episode: Rifle Air. Uh, this one is season six, episode twenty-three, uh, at the Klingon uh, monastery of is it Borath? Is they, it Borath? It's it's spelled like w- with an e, but I think they usually pronounce
2: it Boroth. Boroth for whatever
1: reason. Yeah, that should be an o. <laughs> so on Borath, Boroth, whichever one you want to call it, <laughs> Uh, Worf sees a, v- a very real vision of Kalis, the Unforgettable. So this is obviously um uh Worf losing his uh i guess i, I guess like his spirituality is he has that, a crisis is of is faith during the episode his yeah. faith yeah. yeah and then goes to his monastery basically they pray and and whatever they do and then uh lo and behold this figure of Kayla's beams right in front of him <laughs> yeah so yeah
2: that must so, be really that must be something else to 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 have that happen. It I mean it would be it would be like, you know, a, a Christian praying and like like a real Jesus like appears <laughs> in front of you, right? Because in in a sense Kaelus is like is like the Klingon Jesus, right? I mean, he, basically, he, yes, yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, he he is God. the <laughs>
1: <laughs> If you want to compare who Jesus You you killed God <laughs> cuz he cuz Kaelus killed the gods. Right? Well, right? Worf yeah. says that
2: at a certain point they killed their gods, but they—I think that happened after Kalas. I don't know the chronology, uh, but let's leave that aside. But I mean, yeah. basically, Kalas is like the underpinning of their moral philosophy of their society, and he's this legendary warrior. Um, and he said, "I shall return," you know, on that distant star, which is which is Boroth. And I mean, there's lots of interesting stuff that happens with Worf, but we'll, we'll talk more about about Galron, because for Gawron this is a real threat to his power, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Very much yeah. so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you have the symbol of the Klingon Empire, and then now it's here with you. <laughs> it's like, yeah,
2: I mean, how wow. could how could Gowron compete with this legendary figure who died like 1,500 years before? And like, what's really interesting is that Worf throughout the episode bounces between being skeptical and being like, oh, let me run my tricorder over you and eh, I'm not so sure. And oh my goodness, he is the real K and oh, I'm not so sure. And oh, he is the real. I mean, he like, goes back and forth and back and forth. But Gowron is really incredibly focused in these this episode. He's like, this isn't real. Where did you find this guy? This can't possibly be. Even with the DNA test, they're like, I don't care. This can't possibly be. I mean, he's like the ultimate skeptic. And I wonder if you think that's just simply because he wants to hold on to his power and sees it as a threat, or if he's just naturally a skeptical person when something seemingly miraculous happens.
0: No, I think he's trying to hold on to his power. And any threat, he's going to try and discredit no matter who it is, even if it is Kalis himself. So I think in this episode, you definitely see his conniving and his willing to do anything to protect his reign in the Klingon Empire. I think he um, is going to discredit him anyway. I mean, even to the point where it's like, well, this isn't even Kaelas. It has to be Koloth, right? That's the, the guy's mm. name who created oh, oh, Kaelas oh, in the
2: uh, test tube? The, uh, Koroth, I think it is. Yeah.
0: Koroth, oh. yeah, sorry, L and, yeah. <laughs> so um, so he, I mean, that's his conniving, and that's when we first even consider that Kayles isn't Kaelas because he was in, because of Koroth, you know? And so that comes because Gowron's thinking and conniving and strategizing, like, who's trying to, to, dethrone me basically mm-hmm. so yeah anyway so i think gowron definitely is trying to protect what's his and i don't think it's a, a lack of faith i assert a question if he even had faith you know again because he doesn't want the cling in my opinion he doesn't want the klingon empire to be united and strong for the empire's sake he wants the klingon empire to be strong for, sake. for
2: his sake. yeah and and i mean i think that like if you go to the root of it, it's it's not necessarily Kalas specifically that is the threat to him. It is the um, the the people at the at, that are running the monastery that are this kind of other center of power that have created something in order to seize power. Because I think they are doing something similar. They're like, hey, we have this technology. We can create Kalas, and we can seize power and do things the way that we want to do, because we feel like our society has moved away from our beliefs and we need k to take us back to, to how we should be. So they're like this other center of power that Galran is very threatened by. And I, I think he must've had some kind of dealings with them because he's very suspicious of them and is like, oh, oh, is this your way of, you know, trying to seize power with, with this, you know, this image that you've, that you've created. Um, and, but but also i, I think the, the contrast between Galron and this Kaeless clone because we find out it's a clone eventually is that Galron does seem to be in it for himself but Kaeless has the clone before it's really revealed to him that that's what he is he is very much you know focused and determined and you know a certain purity of belief so he's in some ways the opposite of Galron who wants power for his own sake and this Kales clone would like to have the the power or the influence in order to to better his society, and I don't think Gowron really thinks about bettering his society. It's just like how can how can I hold on to this great power yep. and do things in my image? Agreed. Right? What, what do you think, Richard?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I just think it's very it's very it's very interesting to see. Like I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously Gowron has the uh, ha, is is obviously well within his rights to uh, as as the chancellor of the, of of the empire uh, to be suspicious of what's going on. Uh, Obviously you can't, uh, I mean something as strong as let's, let's just say like, yeah, if uh, something as strong as the idea of Calus being there among them, having that religious peace, you know, strengthened. I mean, I I mean, he could be, he, I mean, obviously he could be a very good tool to be used to, like you said, you know, better the uh, better the empire, better the human spirit or human <laughs> Klingon spirit, <laughs> the Klingon spirit, and uh, as well as the empire overall, and have that morality um, reinforced, and that would be great. Because I mean, obviously, coming out of a civil war, everyone at each other's throats, or well, when they're not in battle, obviously they're drunk in a bar or something like apparently that. except <laughs> they're not doing that. <laughs> as we saw in redemption um but like uh which actually would be very interesting i would love to see something like that if it's happening today but um uh but like just having something like that i mean having someone as str- as a very powerful figure and also image it, i think it would be i mean it, it came at a great time for the empire to uh, right after right, right after the civil war I mean, uh, they obviously had, I mean, obviously, I mean, maybe whether it be to claim power or not, the spiritual side of the empire or the, the, uh, what, monastery or clergy or what are they called? I I, I think that
2: they're they're, they're clergy that serve at this monastery, yeah. You could say monks, maybe.
1: Yeah. Monks, there you go. So monks, clergy, uh, you know, the religious aspects of the government um, in the Klingon Empire. But like, I mean, uh, whether they, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's a great, it's a great time to bring in something, something is a, a real image like him. So, uh, especially with what, what happened. So, but that's what I think about that episode. <laughs> well,
0: well, I think there's, I, you really feel for Gowron, I think, because We see him in reunion, you know, trying to get the seat to get the chancellorship and then in redemption, getting it and having to, you know, really battle the Doros. And so he's always constantly trying to hang on to this power. And then here we are in Rightful Air, just the next episode that we see him in. He's having to battle and try and keep his power. Like there's always someone coming after him for his... Spot, you know, and so it's like he's always on the defensive. And I think you can really feel for him in that because you see it over and over again. That's what he does on the show. He's trying to stay in power. That's
2: true. I mean, I think one thing that is very different about this episode is in reunion, he wants to become chancellor. He wins that competition in redemption. The empire splits. There's a civil war. He comes out on top in this episode. He would rather have this K. Less clone be go away or be discredited in some way. But instead, what happens mm-hmm. at the very end, which I think is very, very interesting, is that, it is. Is that Worf proposes bringing back the ceremonial position of emperor so that Kales can be this um, example for for his people and then Gowron would have the real power. But even so... He's very, very unhappy with that and and he they have to go back and forth and he's like, "Oh, I don't know about this um, but then toward the end of the episode, he's the last one that's kneeling before the Kales clone, so this is the first time you've seen him not get what he wants and have to humble himself and kind of bow to someone else so it's It's a very interesting way to kind of close out his arc in in TNG where he is not getting what he wants. He is not happy about this like at all. He's very reluctant Mm -hmm. about it.
0: Yeah. And that reluctancy still makes me wonder, and I'm going to ask, like, so I've said he just wants the Klingon empire to be united in power Mm -hmm. for him. But do you think that this may have changed in his character, that he is now submitting and saying, "Well, maybe I want the Klingon Empire to be strong for the Klingon Empire." Maybe that wasn't. Do you think he's uh, well, done I, that but, for?
1: Yeah, not not his initial uh, intent, but I, at the I would end, say.
0: Yeah, but at the yeah. end, at, at that at point, the, at do that, you think that that's his character at that point? Art?
2: Yes. I won't say anything more because you should watch Deep Space Nine to see what happens to Gowron.
0: Oh, man. Oh, sh- darn it. That was my way of tricking you into don't telling me. I to spoil oh, it because it's I quite interesting. It yeah. I almost went for it,
2: too.
1: I almost went for it.
2: Yeah. No, I don't want to spoil that because I think it'll be interesting when you watch it to see those seven episodes that he's in and compare it with, with Gowron and,
1: and TNG. I won't spoil it, sorry. Okay,
0: all right. We can't even dang talk
1: it. about uh, uh, the Deep Space Nine ones. I mean, no. not even briefly. Not even briefly is what I'm saying. Yeah. All I
2: can say is he appears in seven episodes and it's really interesting. Sorry.
1: (laughs)
0: Oh, well now I'm very curious because that is, that is the question. Cause like I said, in, in these TNG episodes, I just feel he's very selfish and power hungry and wants it for himself. But then that very last scene where he kneels down and it's like, well, maybe he has a change (laughs) of heart. Maybe he really is becoming this true emperor that wants, the Klingon Empire to be strong. Yeah, you'll just
2: have to see. Uh, oh. I'll, I'll, and I know it's killing Richard not okay. to tell you what happens.
1: Because it, it is killing is. me. I'm I like really so in my intriguing. chair, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. It's, it's re- we could talk about everything that you just <laughs> said. We could we could just amplify that with what's going yeah, on with Deep Space yeah. Nine because he's... He, he's oh.
2: No, no, don't, don't spoil it. And, and <laughs> listeners listening to this, don't spoil it for Amy either <laughs> if you've seen it. But I, I, I just want to add one thing. So we see we see K-less, the clone in this episode and we never see him again I think anywhere else in, in Star Trek this clone but he is in the novels and there's actually a really interesting novel I read recently appropriately called K-less, um, where you get oh. to see um, you know him as emperor and having to work together with Galron and it takes place I think between all good things and generations and and you also get to see what happened to the real K-Less, like the historical K-Less, which is totally interesting so. Hmm. So listeners, if you haven't checked out that book by Michael Jan Friedman called um, Kalos, I think that you should. Because it also kind of deepens this the interaction between Kalos and, and Galron as well.
0: He's a really good author. Mm-hmm. I like his books. I do too, yeah. Yeah. So can I add in just another discovery tie-in sure, that why I not? saw? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know it's not really Galron. This will be our another tangent um so i found it interesting that they when they were talking about how this kayles came to be and that they grew him in this test tube and mm-hmm. blah 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 but that they imprinted his memories and stuff uh, onto this uh-huh. person ah which mm, reminds me of yeah. ash tyler right so that imprinting process Obviously, has been done since discovery because we're seeing it again in Tng, and again, I say air quotes,
2: yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but uh, but yeah, somehow they just get the genetic material, I mean, it's different than what happens at discovery, but they grow this clone and imprint the all these memories. But of course, the really interesting thing is they imprint these memories as they know them from what's written down, right? So, yeah. and that's where and that's where Gowron really. Uh, challenges him like, okay, you've told me this story. What was his name? What was he wearing? What were the color of his eyes? Oh, it's been a long time. I don't know. But that wasn't written down anywhere, right? But the real Kaelas would have remembered that. So his memories are very imperfect. Yeah,
0: Yeah, definitely. But contradicting that was when uh, Kaelas went to the throne room and picked up the Batleth and he's like, do you know how this was forged or how this Mm -hmm. was formed? And they're like, no, because it's not in the writings. Well, it's not
2: in the I'm writings like, huh. that, that people knew, but they revealed that the monks had specifically hidden it from other people so they'd know when the real k came. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. okay. So okay, so
2: okay. it was actually just Got a it. test, and they had imprinted that memory on him.
0: Yeah, and then I also like Worf asking him, like, well, what's it like in Stovico? And he, I mean, this guy... This K-Less is pretty good at thinking on his feet and it's like, well, I travel the different worlds and when I'm in this form, I only remember stuff <laughs> I, from this. So I don't know what's going on in Stovokor. I, I,
2: yeah, I wonder if the, uh, the monks just programmed that into him. Like, if you're questioned about Stovokor, use this response. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's like a programmable um. computer. So, But yeah, a very, very interesting set of, uh, of episodes. I mean, I think they're all good episodes, right?
0: Oh, definitely.
1: Wait, are we talking about discovery? Or are we talking about the, the Klingon? No, episodes?
2: we're talking about the four Klingon <laughs> the episodes. The Klingon
0: episodes. Like, wait, 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 we moved wait, on
2: wait, wait. from that.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I got confused there. Right. <laughs> so, all right. So let's. It's time for final thoughts. Um, Amy, what you? What are your final thoughts on Gowron in the next generation? Or unless you, wait, wait, wait. Uh, Are we going to briefly mention Gowron in D Space Nine? We already did that before. Okay. I put it in the outline in case we hadn't gotten there, but yeah. Okay, go ahead. All right. Go ahead, Amy.
0: All right. Well, since I only know Gowron from TNG, uh, that's all I can speak to. Um, But as I mentioned before, I think uh, he definitely is an interesting character that I haven't um, had the opportunity to go through. So I'm really glad to, you know, see these wonderful episodes and get to know Gowron a little bit better. I think, as I mentioned, you know, we get to see his strategy and his conniving and, and working his way from the outside in, you know, and getting to that in spot, becoming chancellor. And using all the allies that he can with Worf and Kern and with Picard and the Federation. And just really conniving, well, conniving conniving isn't the right way, but strategizing his way to the top. And to overcome the humongous battle that is the Doros and their allies. I think um, he definitely shows his prowess in that strategy. And, and we can see that through him. And then with rightful heir, you know, and like I said, he's always about trying to get power for himself. So I am wondering if he does eventually come around, uh, and become this true chancellor and starts to worry more about the empire instead of keeping control for himself but you definitely it's you've got to feel sorry for him that he's always in battle mode and that always has to protect what is his so i think he is um just within these four episodes a, a very complex character um with lots to offer and to think about you know definitely politically and what it takes to be in power to get to power and remain in power
2: yeah. It, you know, I, I love when we do this, when we look at a certain character and we just look at it through the lens of the episodes they appear in, because, you know, when you're rewatching an entire season or, you know, a series all the way through, you just see him here and then 20 episodes later and 10 episodes later. So to actually have like a focused rewatch just for that character... It's interesting because he starts out as somebody who is kind of a nobody, an outsider. He becomes chancellor, he fends off a civil war, and then he ends up getting humbled by this, you know, important figure that's that's kind of come back as as a clone. So his arc in TNG is really interesting. You do see him you know, getting the power that he wants and having to do everything he can to to hold that power. And he's also, you know, in a lot of important episodes and a lot of important things that happen in the Klingon Empire. Like in the first episode, Kempek, who is the chancellor, has been chancellor longer than anyone else in history, apparently. So this is a big dividing point in the history of the empire. Then you have this civil war, which is this really big event. And then Kales comes back, which has been waited for for 1500 years so there's all of these like epic events that are happening in the history of the kleon empire and galron is is kind of there for for all of them but you do see um for the most part that he's in it for himself he's in it for the power but he's very adaptable very flexible very smart in how he goes about things to hang on to power in an empire where it's, i think it's very hard to 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 hold on to to power because there's this culture even on the klingon ships of, you know, assassinating your superior if they're not doing their job and all that stuff. So he's just, you know, a very tough, strong-willed kind of guy that's that's going to get what he wants if there's a, if he has any say in it.
1: It kills me that we can't talk about deep space 9. I'm sorry, but
2: but we're <laughs> so do. sorry you, you guys. You, you, I you, ruined you, it you, for you You need to start before the summer because it's going to kill you. <laughs> Find out, the, but 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 just a hint: Galran doesn't appear on Deep Space Nine until season three, so it's a bit to till you but get there. you that. still okay. should should
1: watch it. <laughs> still should watch it from the
2: beginning. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yes, oh, I will.
1: My goodness.
0: <laughs> well, I for sure won't be able to watch until Discovery's okay. done, but that's, that's only a few more episodes, yeah. so I just may start before the summer. Okay, How about that's that?
2: fine. And once you're done, we need to do a little patron exclusive, so we can talk about Gowron and Deep Space Nine. How about that?
0: Oh, that would be great. <laughs> That's a good idea. So
1: what? uh, Six months from now? (laughs) Apparently. (laughs) Oh wait, wait, wait. That's June. Never mind. Uh, So what? In July? Well,
0: it's going to take a little time. There's,
2: Amy. There's like 173 episodes, so you know.
0: Well, there's seven seasons, just like TNG. Yeah.
1: Okay. Anyway, Richard, (laughs) your final thoughts. So anyway, (laughs) um, I absolutely. I mean, this. I mean, going over these. these episodes and thinking about Gawron in the, in just specifically, you know, concentrating on, on what Gawron's doing and whatnot. Um, it truly, uh, it, it, it tr- I truly admire what kind of a leader he turns into in today's first nine. <laughs> um, no and, hints, no hints, <laughs> no hints, no hints at all. No, 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 not at all. But like, I mean, it definitely, it, uh, it definitely uh, has a building block of, what kind of a leader he is in TNG, and then what he becomes in Deep Space Nine, and how similar they uh, they they are um, when you compare the two, and um, it just it's I mean it, it explains so much more of why he reacts the way he does in Deep Space Nine. <laughs> so I mean like, but uh, not trying to not, not trying to I'll stick uh, to TNG for yeah, now. stick it to you, Amy, There, I'm just just letting you know, but like um, it definitely. Uh, brings a little bit more appreciation to um to to uh the leader of the klingon empire and i and i absolutely love his character i really do it's um it's a great setup uh i don't know if they were intending um for that to happen but it really was a great setup
2: so just to preview listeners for next week's episode We've got a really special interview for you. It's with actress Elizabeth Dennehy, who played Commander Shelby in the Best of Both Worlds two-parter. We're very excited about that, and that'll be coming to you next week. Another great interview, I think. I hope. (laughs) So we're excited about that, right?
1: Very much so. Very much so. I mean, there's a lot to talk to her about, even though she was only in two episodes. But still, there's a lot to talk about. Um,
2: two very important episodes episodes.
1: well yeah but you know what i mean (laughs) yeah yeah but there's still (laughs) a lot episodes that changed the world
2: episodes (laughs) that changed star trek forever yeah but but yeah we're, we're looking forward to bringing you that next week
1: awesome awesome well it's been fun talking about mr k in this episode but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM.
2: Previously on Trek.fm, the Ready Room. There's no one
1: else in the scene. And <laughs> Marino was talking. It's like, we couldn't even get like five or six extras. They were siphoning all of our extras. Our extras money was going to DS9 to put more aliens on the promenade. Now,
2: yeah, all those extras were hanging out at Quarks. <laughs> it's right. Because they knew, they knew, don't go to a Hutch Hutchinson <laughs> party. Stage 9, a podcast about the people who make Star Trek. When I was a projectionist, I, I literally had a masking taped X on the bottom of my seat. And then when the seats were taken out and replaced with, you know, new and improved seats, I was like,
0: can I get
2: that seat right there so i do now have that seat in my living room right over there you live with a very patient
1: woman mike warp 5
0: so i'm guessing that a lot of the interactions were probably about 50% pa- fact and 50% dramatic <laughs> license
1: so okay hold on a second Are you tell me hollywood's not reliable you telling me i can't believe abraham lincoln vampire hunter is is not real
0: brandon really that's where we go brandon (laughs) we need to have a talk right now
2: primitive culture a look at history and culture through star trek So that idea of nostalgia is very much describing
1: people in the same situation as the Voyager crew. You know, they're far away from home, they're wanting to get home. It's that kind of homesick longing. But maybe that's one reason that that we see this kind of transition from in the early seasons, this nostalgia for this kind of idealized Earth that may or may not really exist anymore, to in the later seasons, the nostalgia is for the journey itself. And that's
2: what else is happening on Trek.fm.
0: Check out all of these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV or desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review.
2: If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link.
1: We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place is to join the larger conversation. is the is to join the lar- larger conversation on the Babel conference, our li- our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel. B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like
2: to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read it on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. So Richard, where can people find you when you're not adding to your Batleth collection?
1: Well, uh, they could find me in the Armory. and No, <laughs> um, they could find me on uh, Facebook. I pop in here and there onto the Babel Conference. Uh, they could also find me on Twitter. My handle is xransom. AB, where can people find you when you're not serving uh, serving as a Federation ambassador and special emissary?
0: Oh, well, you can find me here on the network. I'm on the edge, and I do a little mini show called Postcards from the Edge. And that's the fan response to Star Trek Discovery. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, but my favorite place is right there on the Babel Conference. And Justin, where can people find you when you're not practicing your Gowron impression with those bug eyes?
2: (laughs) Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Uh, Currently tweeting out my season four rewatch of The Next Generation. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com/trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com/trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons' website, the Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com trek.fm.
0: We'd like to take this opportunity and recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, and Michael Huter. Thank you so much for supporting Trek.fm and Earl Grey.
1: So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey.
0: Great joy and gratitude.
1: You
2: will die slowly, Duras. Today
1: is a good day to die.